Section 19 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Modern and Ancient, Volume 10. Section 19. Pierre Cornet by Frederick Morris Warren. Cornet's life, apart from the performance and publication of his work, is but imperfectly known, owing to the lack of contemporaneous records and allusions. He was born at Rouen, capital of the old province of Normandy, on June 6, 1606. At his christening on June 9th, he received the name of Pierre, after his father and godfather. He was educated in the Jesuit College, Academy, at Rouen, and obtained in 1620 a prize for excellence. Choosing his father's profession, he studied law, and was admitted to the bar on June 18, 1624. The office of Attorney General in the Department of Waters and Forests was purchased by him on December 16, 1628. The year following, Mondoret, who, with a company of actors, was probably playing at Rouen, persuaded him to give his, Mondoret's, troupe a comedy he had already written, and the season of 1629-30 saw the play introduced in Paris, at the newly established Marais Theatre. The success of this comedy, Melite, confirmed Corneille in his purpose of writing for the stage, and led him to study the principles of dramatic art. While he continued to discharge his legal duties at Rouen, he would frequently visit Paris in order to offer some new play to Mondori, or mingle in the literary society of the capital. Somalit, made up entirely of conversations where nothing happened, was followed by Clitandre, a tragic comedy of the popular type, full of bloody episodes. Like Melite, it was in twelve-syllable verse, Alexandrine, and contained five acts. It also showed Corny's first attempt to observe unity of time. When it was published in March 1632, a selection of Corneille's poetry, a part of which antedated Melite, was put with it. The next two years saw the publication of occasional poems by him in French, and some Latin verse in honor of the king and Richelieu. Before March 1634, he also composed four more comedies, The Widow, a character study, noticeable for the attempt to compromise on unity of time by allowing a day to each act, the gallery of the palace, where the action takes place in the fashionable shops of the day, and in which the modern character of the sobre displaces the traditional nurse of Renaissance comedy, taken by a man in disguise, the lady's maid, a study of this successful substitute, where finally Corneille observes both the unities of time and place, and makes his five acts equal, line for line, and the Palais Royal, another topical comedy for Parisians. These four plays are much like their predecessors in lack of action and superfluidity of complementary talk. The same may be said of Corneille's collaboration on Richelieu's Comedy of the Tuileries, 1635. His superiority to his colleagues at the time consisted mainly in his poetic talent and common sense. In the season of 1634-35, he tried a tragedy, Medea, patterned after Seneca's Latin drama of that name. It shows an advance on his previous efforts, yet did not come up to his high standard, and he sought a diversion for his disappointment 
by eulogizing the theatrical profession in a play within a play, the dramatic illusion, which he gave to the actors of the Hotel de Burgundy, probably in 1635. About this time, Cornet's attention was drawn to the Spanish drama, then at its highest point. The storied deeds of Spain's national hero especially appealed to his temperament, and he selected Guillaume de Castro's first exploits of the Cid as a model for his imitation. A year or more he may have been busy in adapting its complexity of scene and character to the orderly, simple requirements of the French stage. For it was not until the last days of 1636, after unusual preparations and rehearsals and costuming, that Mondori's company brought out The Cid. Its success was instantaneous. The theater was crowded for many nights. The stage, even, was filled in with seats for the nobility, to the great annoyance of the actors and the detriment of the scenery. And sixteen years later, Pelisson, the historian of the Academy, could still write, It is difficult to conceive the approbation with which this play was received by the court and public. People never tired of going to it. You could hear nothing else talked about. Everybody knew some part of it by heart. Children were made to learn it, and in several places in France it gave rise to the proverb, That is as beautiful as the Cid. The history of modern French drama dates from the first performance of The Cid. The theme here selected became the typical one. It shows the struggle between love and honor on the part of the hero, love and duty on the part of the heroine. Jimena's father has insulted Rodrigo's, enfeebled by his advanced years. He calls upon his son to avenge his honor. In spite of his love for Jimena, Rodrigo shows no hesitation. He challenges the Count and kills him. In the lover's interview which follows, Jimena is more distracted from her duty by her love than Rodrigo was, but yet resolves on vengeance. She demands a champion of the king, who objects that Rodrigo should be pardoned, having just saved the city from the invading Moors. Jimena insists, a champion appears, is overthrown, and is spared by Rodrigo, whereupon the king intervenes and orders the betrothal of the lovers. Since the Cid ends happily, so far as the hero and heroine are concerned, Cornier first called it a tragicomedy, but later substituted the title of tragedy. Its general structure is the same as that of his other plays. Five fairly equal acts, subdivided into scenes, with rhymed Alexandrian couplets, excepting in a few lyric strophes. The time of the action is limited to twenty-four hours, but the scene of the action is restricted only by the boundaries of the town, Seville, the different places being marked by a fixed scenery, which presented several localities to the audience at the same time. His dramatic form and stage properties Cornet had obtained from his French predecessors of the classical school. The medieval miracle plays had practically fallen out of favor nearly a century before Melit, and had been prohibited in Paris in 1548. But the fraternity of the passion still occupied the only theater in the city, and had a monopoly of all the performances in the city and suburbs. Into its theater of the Hotel of Burgundy, it had put as much of its old multiplex scenery as it could fit into the new and narrow stage, and while it could no longer act the old mysteries, still it clung to the dramatic stories which knew neither unity of time, place, or even action. Outside of these playwrights, however, the Renaissance had created a set of men who looked towards classical antiquity for their literary standards. In 1552, Jodel and his friends of the Pleiade had appealed to this class by acting in Boncourt College, a tragedy modeled on Seneca's Latin dramas. This example was subsequently followed by many writers, who, however, 
rarely got their pieces acted, and therefore fell into the way of writing without having the necessities of stage effects in view. Consequently, for nearly half a century, the best dramatists of France were strangers to the public of the Hotel of Burgundy, and were drifting more and more from a dramatic conception of the theatre into a lyric one. Long declamatory monologues, acts varying greatly in length and separated by elaborate choruses, were the chief features of this school. Nothing happened on the stage, all was told by messengers. Yet these dramas, by their very lack of action and scenery, were suited to the limited means of strolling companies of actors, and modifications of them were being played more and more to provincial audiences. Finally, in 1599, one of these companies came to Paris, leased the Hotel of Burgundy from the fraternity, now tired of his avocation, and laid there the foundations of modern French drama. Their purveyor to this troupe was Alexandre Hardy, a man of some education, of considerable theatrical endowments, but lacking in literary taste. True to his classical models, so far as the unlettered public of the hotel and its scenery would allow, he managed, by cutting down the monologues, equalizing the acts, restricting or suppressing the choruses, and leading the dialogue to some climax visible to his audience, to effect a compromise between the partisans of the two schools, and educate a new body of theatre-goers. His scenery he could not change, and it still remained a constant temptation to diversity of place and multiplication of episodes. Hardy labored for more than thirty years. It is to his dramatic form, audience, and stage that Cornet succeeded, continuing his work while avoiding his excesses. And aided by the growing taste and intelligence of his public, Cornet could further simplify and refine the style of play in vogue. Now de Castro's Cid had enjoyed the freedom of the miracle plays. It numbered three acts, divided into fifty-three scenes. Its episodes, many of them purely digressive, occupied nearly two years of time, and were bounded in place only by the frontiers of Spain. In order to reduce this epic exuberance to the severity of the classical mold, Cornier had to eliminate the digressive episodes, cut down and combine the essential ones, connect the places where the action took place, and lessen the time of its duration. In the French Cid, Rodrigo kills him and his father, and is betrothed to her in less than twenty-four hours. This instance alone illustrates the effort Cognier made on himself. It caught also the eye of his rivals and critics. The Cid was fiercely assailed for its inhumanity and improbability, and with the connivance of Richelieu, the newly organized academy was called upon to condemn it. While the opinion of this body was not indeed unfavorable, yet the dispute had so irritated Cognier that he retired to Rouen and for a time renounced his art. When he reappeared, it was as a dramatizer of classical subjects, that dealt with but one episode to a play. But the romantic side still survived in the love affair invariably interwoven with his nobler, sterner theme. So Horace, 1640, treated of the fight of the Horati and the Corati, and the immolation of a woman's love to the Roman fatherland. Cinna, 1640-41, narrated a conspiracy against Augustus, which was undertaken through love for the heroine, but was pardoned by the emperor's magnanimity. Polyectus, 1643, showed how a steadfast Christian husband could preserve his wife's fidelity against the memory of a first love, and how his martyrdom could result in her conversion. Pompey, 1643-44, recited the death of that leader and the devotion of Cornelia, his wife, to his memory. These four plays, tragedies all, represent in their eloquence, their diction, nobility of thought, and lofty aspiration, the highest development of Cornier's dramatic genius. 
After this period of serious composition, Cornier sought relaxation in comedy, and produced from Spanish models The Liar, 1644, and The Sequel to The Liar, 1645. Both are superior in dialogue, action, and verse to his earlier plays, and the first remained the best comedy of the new school up to the appearance of Moliere. Toward the end of 1645, Rodogon was acted, a tragedy to which Corneille was ever partial on account of its highly wrought, exciting solution. Theodore, 1646, the fate of another Christian martyr, and Heraclius, 1646-47, preceded their author's election to the Academy, January 22, 1647. The Fronde then intervened, and it was not until 1649 that Corneille's best tragicomedy, Don Sancho, was performed. A spectacular play, or opera, Andromeda, 1650, closely followed it. Nicomedes, 1651, was a successful tragedy. Pertharite, 1652, a failure. Consequently, for the next few years, Corneille devoted himself to religious poetry and a verse translation of The Imitation of Christ. But the visit of Moliere's company to Rouen in 1658 incited him to write again for the stage. Oedipus, 1659. Sertorius, 1662. Sophonisba, 1663. Otto, 1664. Agassilis, 1666. And Attila, 1667. All tragedies were the result. Some were successful, but others were not. Moliere was now in full career, and Racine was beginning. Corneille's defects were growing. His plays were too much alike, and gallant talk supplied in them the place of deeds. In 1660, a second spectacular drama, The Golden Fleece, had been performed, and the same year he had edited a general collection of his plays, with a critical preface to each play, and three essays on the law and theories of the drama. All this time he had not neglected society and religious verse, and probably, in 1662, he had moved from Rouen to Paris. A retirement of three years followed Attila. Then in 1670, Cornier reappeared with the tragedy Titus and Berenice, neglected by the public for Racine's Berenice. In 1671, he collaborated with Moliere and Conault on a comedy ballet, Psyche. In 1672, he wrote Pulcheria, a tragicomedy, and in 1674 gave his last play, the tragedy of Serena to the stage. Henceforth, only supplicatory poems addressed to the king reminded the Parisians of Corneille's existence. In 1682, he published the final revision of his dramas, and in 1684, on the night of September 30th, he passed away. He had married in 1641. Four children survived him. Corneille's contemporaries complained of his slowliness, his timidity, quick temper, and weary in conversation. He could never read his own play successfully, and is even said to have spoken French incorrectly. He was reputed avaricious, but was continually lamenting his poverty, and seems to have died in want. He was quite tall, well set, with large eyes and strongly marked features. Besides his services to French comedy, Corneille may be said to have established the higher comedy in verse, with its decent manners and self-respecting characters. In this departure, he undoubtedly owed much to Plautus and Terence, but probably more to Hardy's tragicomedies and lighter plays. The chief merit of his style was fine diction, eloquence, and harmony of phrase. His thought was high and noble. As a dramatist, he excelled in the invention and variety of his situations. 
His defects were the reverse of these qualities. Rhetoric. Subtle sentiment. Stiff characters. The best complete edition of Corneille is Mighty Lavereau's in Hachat series of Les Grands Acrivains de la France, Great Writers of France, 12 volumes, 1862-68. to 68. This edition contains a biographical notice. The most complete bibliography is E. P. Cos, Biographie Cornier, Paris, 1865. J. Tartarose, Histoire de la vie et des oeuvres de Cornet, History of the Life and Works of Cornet, is the best biography, published Paris, 1829. Third edition, 1869. F. Guizot's Cornet in his Times is the only life that has been translated into English, London, 1857. Of the separate plays, the Cid, Horace, and Polyectus have been rendered into English blank verse by W. F. Noakes, Hatchet and Company, and these three, together with Sina, have been literally translated by R. Mongon and D. Macrae, London, 1878-86. F. M. Warren. End of section 19. Recording by Todd.